0: They came back from tour, and uh, Mike Love hears a song called "Darlin'" that Brian had written for "We Were Free Dog Night." was called "Redwood" at the time, and he was pissed off. <laughs> Said, "What are you giving them a hit song for?"
1: Welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. I hope everyone's having a fantastic fall. And for our listeners in the Southern Hemisphere, it's almost summertime. How about that? I'm very stoked for the holiday season. It's my favorite time of year. So hope you guys are excited as well and um have a lot to be thankful for. I'm very excited about today's show and mostly because Will and John are back to break down the first few Wild Honey sessions in great detail. But first, let's celebrate the news. At My Piano, is the new instrumental album from Brian Wilson. It was released on November 19th, and uh, it's just what you think. It's just uh, Brian at the piano. It's a really nice listen. That's all I really can say about it. Check it out. Unfortunately, Brian had to postpone his European tour due to COVID restrictions, and um, that's a bummer. Hopefully, you homies across the pond can still see Brian in the future. In the meantime, I'm sure you guys are well aware The long-awaited Long Promised Road documentary about Brian was also released on November 19th. Reviews are really good. Uh, Everyone that I talked to that saw it really enjoyed it. So check it out. It's in some theaters, but it's also streaming on most platforms. I was fortunate enough to see it a few months ago at the Nashville Film Festival. Quick shout-out to the homies that spotted me there, Gabriel and Slice. It was nice meeting y'all. I shared all of my thoughts on the film uh, over on the Sale On Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash on. A huge shout out to our newest supporters. Jesse Moffitt, Bailey Robb, Zachary Bowman, Aaron Levy, Rob Schwartley, Jeff Cannell, Shirty Mop, Jack Jack, Logan Truber, Sid Whitaker, Matt Quinn, Mackenzie Ryder, and John Stupik. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for keeping the show running and advertisement free, which is great for everyone. We love you! If you want to support the show and get access to a ton of bonus episodes, please head over there and check it out. We just started a new Patreon-only show with our good buddy, Freddy French Pounce. It's called Surf Wax. (laughs) Surf Wax. Hello, friends i'm frederick french pounce and welcome to the debut episode of surf wax now sail on listeners may be familiar with me already through my mixology podcast where i take a look at- and it's an all vinyl beach boys show exclusive to our patrons speaking of which i wanted to read a couple emails from you guys the first one is from cameron catalano Hey Wyatt, I'd like to share with you a bit of my journey with the band. I've been a Beach Boys fan since I was seven when my mom set our VCR in the early 90s to record An American Band. I was mesmerized by Brian's solo performance of the second part of Surf's Up. It was probably a decade before I finally heard the full version. I recorded all the segments of songs from the film onto cassette and took it with me wherever I went. Made a track listing on the insert, but didn't know the names of some of the songs. There was time to be together, I can make music, (laughs) and don't you know. Have you ever found a copy of the Beach Boys version of Rock and Roll Woman apart from the Wake the World instrumental? That'd be incredible to hear. The first time I visited the States, I found a tape of Pet Sounds at a Kmart in Sandpoint, Idaho, around the age of eight. And it was stuck in my Walkman for a year until each note was internalized. Unfortunately, my parents innocently got me their newest album, Summer in Paradise, And there was nothing there that made me feel the way that Pet Sounds did, so I left the band by the wayside. I got distracted with The Beatles and Stones for a while, and didn't pursue The Beach Boys until about three years ago, upon finding the Good Vibrations box set at a record store for $15. There were a number of songs I recalled from my American Band tape that I had never heard in their entirety, like Time To Get Alone, Smile Material, I Can Hear Music, and Forever. Once I reached the Love You material on the fourth disc, I felt I needed to give the band a reevaluation. Since then, I've accumulated the majority of their albums and read everything I can find on them. My wife only allows me to listen to them when she is not home, because in 2018, I was too much of a Beach Boys overload for her. I've weirded people out who say they like the Beach Boys, and I express my preferences for post-Surf Beach Boys and lead them through the tangents of their bizarre stories until the eyes glaze over. I think one of the most special things about the band, post-surf, is that they were afforded the purity to write music for themselves again, without too much concern about the current trends. Where the hell else would A Day in the Life of a Tree, Solar System, or Mount Vernon find a context? Also, Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo are incredible works, that have really little to do with the Beach Boys, but contain that same purity only available to those who had free access to a studio in the 70s. I latched on to sail on around the time of your spring honeys episode. It's one of the few podcasts that I clamor for and listen to immediately upon release. I'm happy to be able to support you, and I'm looking forward to exploring all the bonus material. Here's to you getting to episodes on Love You and congratulations on making it to 100 patron supporters. Regards, Cameron Catalano. Cameron, you sound a lot like me. Um, We went on a very similar journey, and... My wife also is sick of the Beach Boys. How about that? Who would have guessed? Thank you so much, man. It really means a lot having you on board. And um, uh, I hope you're enjoying. Next up is an email from Stav. Thank you for the podcast. I listened to it with my eight-year-old, trying to instill in him good taste. He loves the podcast and is chipping in two and a half dollars a month for it. We mostly agree with your assessment. It especially made my day when one of you said that Hard Day's Night was the best Beatles album. I agree, only one bum song on it. Hopefully I'll see you in Vancouver, B.C. someday, or at least in Bellingham, Washington, though Seattle is also an option. Thanks again, Stav. Really cool. Thank you both for listening and supporting the show. Uh, We do hope to bring the Sail On band to the Pacific Northwest again in the next year, so stay tuned. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the making of Wild Honey with my wild homies, Will Crera and John Brody.
2: Hey guys, we're back. Wyatt sort of sent us on our own to uh, go through the Wild Honey sessions for everyone, kind of talking through who played what, um, the story of the album and uh, our own thoughts when they pop up, when they happen.
3: Just, just two British people talking about the Beach Boys. Hey, so not I'm not British. <laughs> okay. Nobody will get that. probably so, like, like four people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: all right. So, let's kind of talk about the album as a whole for a little bit.
3: Is that a cue for me to talk? Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> talk, let's talk. talk about Wild Honey. <laughs> I hope you leave all this stuff in. This is better like this. Um i don't know what do you want to say about wild honey we like wild honey don't we like where is it yeah, like yeah i i feel what, like is it one of your um, favorites because
2: i don't think i like it as much as you comparatively to the rest of the of the band's work because i know it's like i think you told me it was your favorite at one point or second favorite
3: yeah it's like wild honey Your friends is my favorite i'm going off i mean i'm not just trying to beat brian wilson in that one like 70s interview where he calls those two his favorites well those are my favorites like depending on <laughs> yeah, what movie you i'm like either either wild honey or friends
2: <laughs> I, I like the album surrounding it so much that i kind of forget about wild honey a lot and i know that's that's kind of unfortunate because i listened to this album recently for the first time in a while and i was like wait <laughs> this is really good
3: when i listen to the album itself it doesn't feel like finished like in a way Like Mm, I, when I think of Wild Honey, I think of like lonely days and trying to get alone and cool water and like can't wait too long and all those sorts of things and like all the stuff around it and I'm not when I talk about Wild Honey being my favorite, I'm not really talking about like the record itself. I'm just talking about like all this those songs and stuff from that period. Um, Yeah, because it's
2: very short, but Friends is short too. But you're right, Friends does feel more like a a complete work front to back.
3: Yeah. We, it's it's one of my favorite things about it is though, it's like it's so short, but like every second of it is good. Like there's not a second that's like true. there's not one that's thing true. on the album yeah. that I don't enjoy. So that's that, that that's something I like about it. Yeah.
2: Alright, so let's sort of talk about the uh, historical context about this album. I know we've set it up quite a bit.
3: I don't really know it's it's so We're starting trying to do like background research for *Wild Honey* because nobody ever talks about it in like specifics. Like you'll just get Bruce talking about how much he likes it, and then you know music for Brian to cool out by. But nobody really talks about the way it came together and stuff. But pretty much, they were planning on doing this fake Hawaii live album. Um, And that would have been, you know, they were really behind after the Pet Sounds going in smiley smile Like a long gap between albums and they owed a lot to capital, so they had to get another one done quite quickly So they had this fake Hawaii live album pretty much prepared almost to go like they'd almost finished putting this album together and then Sort of out of nowhere, they just came up with this um, single wild honey Like just just as I don't think it was planned to be an album at that point Like they just had this one song and put it out as a single and then at some point down the line, they decided they weren't going to put out late in Hawaii. Like, I think Mike is the only one who's ever said something about it. Like, he just said it wasn't, like, dynamic, which is his way of saying it was just wasn't good enough. Which is fair enough, because, like, you know, if they released late in Hawaii, it would have been baffling, and nobody yeah, would do it. Yeah, uh, it, it really um,
2: wasn't good enough for what the band needed at the
3: know, time. No, it really just wasn't good enough, is the thing. And then they started, Brian and Mike started writing these songs and they got into more of an R&B thing. I think Bruce at one point said that they got together and just decided like maybe had a meeting or something like, right, we're just gonna like reboot our recording career. And they just decided to do this. Um, I think maybe it was Mike who said, Brian like had this idea, like, I wanna do like an R&B album, like an R&B Beach Boys album. And that was like his concept and his head for what this is gonna be. And then there was the whole thing with Redwoods. Um, we can talk about that a bit, the whole like early Three Dog Night situation with Brian. And at some point out of it, it just turned into an album project, and it went by really quick. And it was done in a way that w- they hadn't done an album in the past before. It's almost like Smiley Smile is like kind of a cool down after the whole big first seven years of the career. Like they just kind of like cool down and made this simple album in Brian's house. And then Wild Honey is like the start of the next era, sort of, in a way. Um, and then it was done in like. Two months to record the entire thing, like a month and a bit to record the whole album, and then it was out in a few weeks of, after that. And then it was like, and then t- fifty years later, we're talking about it, it was, uh, and that's the story of, of Wild Honey.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> and it was a month and a half, not just to uh, record the album, but there's a whole bunch of outtakes here that they would um, yeah keep going a to for uh, the next few albums, but a bunch of stuff they also just didn't finish.
3: Yeah, they've recorded a lot of music really, really quickly for this thing.
2: Yeah, so um, let's see. So this is another album that came out as produced by the Beach Boys. And as we saw on Smiley Smile, that wasn't a completely accurate credit. Um, The whole band talked about the fact that Brian was still the producer of the band, the producer of the album, and even in a way that he hadn't been before because he was playing almost everything on the album. And that's pretty much true here as well it's sort of got that produced by the beach boys credit because there are a few tracks on here that didn't really involve brian as much but
3: yeah it's like an almost brian wilson produced album yeah
2: almost nine out of the 11 tracks are like completely produced by brian so it's it's a really
3: generous credit yeah there's there's been some things people have written about how like carl was kind of like co-producing this album and or carl was taken over from brian and brian was sitting back and writing the songs and then carl was just making them which isn't true at all brian was in the driver's seat for almost all of this whole thing but Carl was like stepping up and being almost a co-producer in a way in some of these tracks and you know there's one of them well there's two of them like I was made to love her and how she boogalooed it that he was like the driver of almost and then like Bruce was helping yeah. out a little bit as well so the, you had some more Carl input here than you would even on the next album Friends was back to being Brian like in control of the whole thing but this was almost a little bit more of a band album like an, like an almost Brian completely all the way through album.
2: Yeah, and that isn't something completely new either. Carl chiming in for some advice here and there because he did that on earlier albums too. Like he would tell Brian when something sounded bad, or he would, you know, give his thoughts on the sounds because sounds were really important to him, of course, just as
3: they were yeah. to Brian. You hear that going back so long as well. Like it's like like the summer days and summer night sessions and like smile stuff and the party especially. Um, the party sessions especially. Carl is like. Pretty much co producing these sessions with Brian. Um, like, obviously, he's kind of like the apprentice, I guess, but he's in there, like, giving actual, like, practical feedback, almost in the way that, like, Murray would have been playing like, the early. Obviously, Carl's not Murray, but you know what I mean. He was, like, in yeah. the studio doing stuff f- f- for a long time before this, and it's just becoming more formal at
2: this point. I think I was listening to, like, the Help Me Rhonda session, and Brian kept trying ideas, and Carl would be like, No, that sounds bad. And Brian would listen to him. So, I mean, that's sort of what he's doing here, and it's not anything super new but he's also producing a few tracks on his own without brian but again for the most part this is pretty much just another brian wilson album in the same way that everything else has been
3: yeah totally and it's um because it's not so i mean again it's like there's a few bits of session musicians and like a guy from the touring band and a few things like that but this is like i it guess it's already I it guess talked about as a band album and it's not really in a lot of ways like it's because mm-hmm. th- these tracks were really minimal it's like piano and bass and then they'd overdub loads of stuff and it wasn't like like the, the beach boys is a live band playing together but it was them pretty much doing almost all the instruments on the album again like more, more than they had since about like like all summer long really more than that is this, this is like the most beach boysy pure beach boysy album in a long time yeah in terms of like them playing all the instruments themselves yeah
2: and and even all summer long a lot of the tracks have like Hal and Ray and Steve and Jay.
3: But it's kind of, um, the way they did it as well, it's almost building on the smiley smile way of doing tracks, but like they start like, with very minimal things and the overdub stuff. So there's a lot, of, a lot of looping and interesting ideas going on with this thing. It's done in a very sort of homespun way, not completely at home as well. It gets that lo-fi reputation. It kind of is, it's still in the primitive home studio, but there's a lot of Wally Hyder stuff as well, which was like a replica of Western 3. Um, but came out with this sort of crummy, very muddy sound and a lot of copy and pasting, a lot of tape degeneration and stuff and splicing together in a harsh way, and it's mixed kind of weirdly. So it does, definitely has this really cozy, homespun sort of ragtag mm-hmm. feel, which I, I really like about it. Right, yeah. Beyond
2: that, this was like a completely new style for the band. It was like a conscious effort to sound like something else, which is what... Um, i guess smiley smile did as well but this is a, a bit mm. more imitative i guess
3: yeah they've, they've got genres on their mind and they're thinking about motown stuff and i think um steve said in the first episode it's kind of like the most wild honey thing before this was like the girl from new york city or something like that it's it's kind of taken mm. on that like r&b-ish piano based edge that they'd had before and really just expanding on it and you know they're trying to kind of be imitative of, of, of a different genre because Brian talked about like they were getting flack for sounding like choir boys and stuff and people were making fun of Brian's high voice so it's like a conscious effort just for this one album just to see what it was like just to go and do something completely different from before and make simple just like fun light music that they could enjoy
2: right yeah and um on the choir boy thing there's the harmonies on this album are in the mono mix they're mixed pretty low a lot of times and they're not as frequent as every Beach, Boy do- Beach Boys album before. A lot of these are just mainly focusing on the lead vocals which is, you know, to keep in the tradition of the R&B music they were imitating.
3: Yeah, and a lot of Brian's vocal arrangements are pretty simple on this album as well. Like, they're just kind of like... Yeah. I mean, Here Comes the Night is, I think, the the one song on the album that's got a really interesting backing vocal arrangement but for the most part they're just, like, pretty, pretty, like, stock. Like, they're just, like... Not that they're not good, but there's there's definitely kind of like they're quite different to anything he's done in quite a while.
2: Yeah, a lot of the effort is is going into those lead voices, mainly Carl, Mike, and Brian.
3: Like Alan, Alan, Dennis are just like gone, and Bruce is quite important on this album as well. He's got like a little thing on a thing or two, and. He gets like the famous wild honey crappy organ solo which is amazing and all that sort of thing but it's really <laughs> it's really cool it's the only time in the band's history you get this proper triangle of like brian mike and carl are like the lead singers and it's, it's it's a really good dynamic that i really like at this point
2: and um one last thing of note is that this is the last album that was mainly a brian and mike collaboration where most of the songs were wilson love yeah after this he starts writing with other people in the band and then the albums become less Brian focused. Um, so this is really the last album, and I guess the first album that was like this since Summer Days, sort of rekindling their uh, their partnership.
3: That's one thing about Wild Honey. When you listen to it, you just think like they should have just been like writing songs all the time. Like yeah. Brian's not trying to self consciously kind of be important or whatever and reach out, and Mike is like really catering to what Brian was doing. It's it's different from the early Beach Boys stuff. It's like adult love songs for the first time. No, yeah, the lyrics
2: on this album are, are really good. Yeah. Um, and they're definitely written from the standpoint of, you know, 1967 R&B. So there's a lot of, like, lingo in there that doesn't quite hold up. But for the most part, the songs really work.
3: If it feels almost accidental, but they must have been thinking about it a bit. But you get things like Honey and Bees and the word, like, Darlin comes up a few times, and you got like the phrase "Aren't you" if you count time to get alone. uh, The phrase "Aren't you glad" comes up in three songs. Yeah, and there's just all these like repeated like themes and ideas throughout it. It feels like a really cohesive, thought through set of songs, especially if you include the outtakes. It's like there's a very maybe more than pet sounds. It feels like there's an actual like theme going throughout the album of all these different motifs and and ideas they're trying to explore. It's it's interesting. It never happened before or after in Beach Boys stuff apart from you know all summer long where it's like summer songs and stuff like that it feels like wild honey is like a real the songs kind of they boost each other by being together um no yeah you're right that sounds you sort of way
2: and uh, especially the bee thing the honey thing i mean that's all based off the first song but it feels like it's in yeah every song almost or most songs
3: yeah, it even feels like it's in country air because you've got like the Chamberlain where the tape runs out and it sounds like bees are like attacking the speakers. It's great. <laughs> I just picture that as the bees on the on the front cover every time I listen to it. But <laughs> you know what yeah, I didn't mean, think of that. <laughs> I think of that every time I listen to it, <laughs> which we'll get to it's near the end because it's one of the later songs, but... All
2: right, so... Uh, um, I'm
3: pumped up about Wild Honey now. If Noah one starts talking about it, I'm like, yes, this is good.
2: Yeah, see, it's <laughs> it's great and you forget how great it is because it's it's so short and it's so hidden. And it's so surrounded yeah. by other great albums. Um, yeah, so let's talk about yeah. let's talk about the album. Let's talk about the first track, Wild Honey.
3: Which is a great song um, that I really had to let grow on me. I didn't like it at first. I thought it was like. <laughs> something abrasive about it and then some one day something just like clicked and i thought oh this is great um it's so left field i think just to think that this song came out of nowhere pretty much and then an album came out of it i mean i mean i've got a pet theory that maybe carl trying to do the stevie wonder thing i was made to love it might have even been before it and it's kind of inspired brian because it's something danny hudden said but let's just assume that we don't know that so assume that this just came out of nowhere it's so like different from anything the beach boys have ever done before um it's like noisy and it's got this Stevie Wonderish call vocal that's nothing like he's ever sung before. He's right at the top of his range yelling and people complain about him being squeaky. I think it's great. The enthusiasm just carries it. And it's this loose track that's just all over the place with shitty tambourine and like a really ragged guitar <laughs> and stuff and, and that terrible organ. It's and the noisy theremin and stuff and the yelled backing vocals. It's just like it's like this track is like so garage banned.
4: I played bass on Wild Honey. I was a terrible bass player. And I played that cheesy uh, Question and Mysterious, whatever it was, 96 Tears organ solo.
1: Horrible. I played it once, and Brian says, perfect, we'll keep it. I thought, oh, Brian, come on, man.
2: The track itself was played by just just the band, besides the theremin, which is uh, Paul Tanner once again. I think the basic track was Brian on piano, Carl on guitar, Bruce on bass and Dennis drumming as sort of a guide.
3: You know, we've heard some things of bootlegs and official, and we've got, you know, our friend, Craig Solinski who's been researching this stuff for years. He's heard more of the track sessions than the average person, but this one is one that he hasn't heard and we haven't heard, so we're just kind of guessing. But because of the way things bleed into each other, we can kind of guess that it was put down by Brian on that great D-Tune piano, which really comes into its own on Wild Honey. Like, There's a reason people call it the Wild Honey piano. It's because it's just all over this album. It's like the defining sound of it. Um, It's like a 12-string acoustic guitar, which is just not the thing you'd expect to be on this track. It's like really loose, playing (laughs) like low down and Carl's like just attacking the strings. Um, Bruce played bass on this. We know that because he said it. And then there's a load of percussion that I guess was overdubbed. Like apparently Dennis played the drum kit out in the hallway of Brian's house to get the echo from it. And it's just like this nasty, like, like badly recorded thwack sort of, there's this terrible tambourine. <laughs> yeah. I think might've been, been Carl. Yeah. I think it might've been Carl. Like we thought it was Brian, <laughs> but now I heard like, I can hear Brian's voice at the end of the take. So I think it was, must've been Carl doing this and not Brian. Um, and yeah, the tambourine bothers you uh, a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it starts playing this one rhythm and keeps it throughout the song, but then at some point it switches what beat it's on. It's like it's like he forgets exactly what he's doing, and it, it yeah, really messes with me. The, the tambourine on "Good Vibrations" does the same thing in the second verse.
3: Yeah, it's just like <laughs> I hear, I can't unhear it every time. Every time you mention that, but it's just like something loose about it and then you've got these bongos and the congas which is all over the place as well that that organ which is this really grating mm-hmm. like sound to it like bruce played the organ because that's another thing he said and apparently brian was running around like hey bruce play bass like and i play the organ and bruce was like did it in one take and brian was like that's great <laughs> um it's like a, a Farfisa organ i think it wasn't the normal hammond or the bulb it was what they brought on no, tour so it's got that no. really transistory harsh sound And in the solo as well, it's got this cool thing where they used, if you remember like I'm in great shape where they had that echo feedback loop thing that builds up and they've got this interesting effect on the organ that like swirls around and things with another part. And then they brought in Paul Tanner to play the theremin because like Brian, I think Brian at one point said it was like for old time's sake kind of, but theremin is double tracked to make it more shrill. And it's just going up and down between one note the whole time. It's just going G to G to G to G. Um, (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's so simple, but like, so it gives it this crazy like energy, like a siren kind of. I don't even know how to describe it. Steve yeah, would probably I be think, able to think of what song that's from, I, but I
2: can't. Yeah, I can't imagine the song without it. Really, I mean, that's kind of the defining sound to me. Carl sang the lead on this. Um, I think people kind of have mixed opinions about this because it's very not in the Beach Boys style, but um, I really like it and uh, Brian's there next to him. One little fact about this is, in the last verse, when he sings There's Nothing Quite As Sweet, um, Carl doesn't sing the word sweet because I guess it's it's really high up there and yeah. Brian wanted it to sound sweet, I guess. Um, and it's hard hard to sing that line all the way through without just screaming it. So Brian pops in and he sings the word sweet. You can hear the voices overlap like, sweet. a little
3: sweet. bit. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, it's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the way Carl sings it, he leaves it on, it's like it's nothing quite as sweet. Ah, like He doesn't even say as, but that's just a cool cameo. We, we, it sounded like sort of a punch-in from a different take and then we sat down and listened to it and we're like, wait a second, that's Brian. That's not Carl. Like... <laughs> yeah It's no just That's Brian just like Standing there To say one word
4: <laughs>
2: Yeah I, I really wish There was more Video documentation Of this stuff Because Some of this stuff Would be so fun to see Just Brian Standing there While Carl sings And then just singing The one word <laughs>
3: And you've got almost like a little lead vocal cameo in the bridge as well. Like when Brian goes like, oh, mama, she's. And then like all the others come in. That's yeah, a great moment. Yeah. I
2: love that moment. Brian sounds so good on that one line. People probably don't know that's, that's Brian. Um, he just sings that one line, oh, mama, she's sweeter. And my, I guess my hot take with this song, I love Carl's vocal. I have nothing against it. But just based on that, I think I would prefer it if Brian sang it.
3: Me too, I think' ex- I think the same thing just because really? Brian sounds so good on that one line, yeah, but I don't know if Brian okay. could, because it's <laughs> it's it's in that range where Brian never sang like when he was yelling. Brian just didn't stay in that range comfortably. like he just sort of handed it off to Carl, who and Al sometimes as well, who I guess could belt that way a little bit a little bit easier. But yeah, like if Brian went for it, that would be amazing to hear, like just with that slightly mm. more mature voice because the thing about it, Carl's voice is it's really at this point. it's the first time he's trying to do a vocal like this and. You know, like Carl's like really like pushing himself like way too far in this, and that's kind of the fun of it. Like it's this sort of amateur like screaming and right. squeaking and stuff when he gets up there, um, which I like. You know, some people complain about him being all squeaky, but I, I'm a big fan of that. I think it's just the enthusiasm that like makes the song. Brian doing this would have been great. <laughs> I did not think you were going to agree with me on that.
2: I thought I had yeah. a unique opinion for once.
3: <laughs> oh no, damn it! <laughs> it's not going to be interesting to listen to, is it? <laughs> but <laughs> we got we got to stop agreeing with each other. I know. Do you know what though? If you listen to take one, the party unplugged thing, listen to take one of Barbara Ann. Brian sings it. It's in a slightly lower key. They raised it, but Brian sings it for just one take only by like yelling it, and you only get a couple of verses in. But it's like, oh my god, this is like he could do wild honey if he did that voice. <laughs> but just it's something that he never really went into.
2: Yeah, and I think I think Brian singing this song kind of would have helped to prevent the myth that Carl was doing everything on his own because this is just Brian writing and producing a song but Carl's singing it and that's what people hear and then they see produced by the Beach Boys lots of people assume this is where Brian just stopped but no he's he's playing lots on it he's arranging it um but it's a collaborative group effort as well
3: yeah and um, I mean, I think you kind of need this though. This is like a kind of a watershed moment for Carl where he kind of steps into his bonus. He's had a your nose and stuff and he's had wind chimes and things on the Smiley Smell album. But this time he's like kind of starting to become like a really confident lead singer. And you mm-hmm. wouldn't get like, this is like kind of on the path to like I can hear music and the vocals like that. So I'm glad we did get Carl singing this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the other thing, the thing about people hate, liking, or hating "Wild Honey" is like when Blondie did it in the '70s. Some people hate that. Like some people hate Blondie doing "Wild Honey" because he's like wailing and sounds a bit off key. But I think it's fantastic. Like I wish he was in the band in '67 because that would have been like the definitive <laughs> vocal on this song. I think if they had Blondie really? Chaplin. But yeah, I think it's great. I love that "Wild" that live version. I mean, it's got the the weird digital reverb, but like that's just like insane <laughs> that, that that live single "Like Made in California." I love that version.
2: I like it, but I don't like it as much as, as this studio version.
3: No, no, it's a completely different feeling. Like it's yeah. much more up tempo and just like, like a fever dream sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good description. Yeah. Um, the backing vocals are all the Beach Boys in this one, which is rare. Not much of that on this album as well, but it's all six of them singing. Yeah. All really, six of them. Re- mm-hmm. Really simple arrangement. Um, Brian and to like sort of yelling the top note, like one note, the whole song, Carl and Bruce and, below that and dennis below that and then mike is like really mike is just kind of like down on the bottom but this is something interesting that i picked up on this album a lot in the past mike was always on his own microphone so he'd be picked up because when you're singing low he's got to get close to the mic to resonate so they'd always give him his own microphone but i don't hear any of that on "Wild honey like when he's doing his bass vocals mike just gets like lost in the track every time and unless Mm -hmm. you're hearing it isolated you just don't notice he's even there so i don't know if that's like a conscious thing or something, but Mike is really buried in a lot of these songs.
2: Yeah, it might it might just be how. Well, if it's if it's throughout the tracks that were recorded, like at both the studios, it's probably it's probably just mm. a conscious thing. Yeah, and uh, in, in this kind of music, you don't really hear pronounced like bass vocals in the harmonies. A lot of the harmonies mm. really get lost in the mix.
3: They do, especially the monomix. It's really drowned out a lot. You know, the stereo mix brought them up a lot, but the monomix, they're sort of, like, whispery in the background. There's something about this whole track as well, I thought, it's like, it's got this really rough and tumble vibe. People talk about the Beach Boys not being able to play their own instruments or whatever, which obviously they could. And Wild Honey being, like, a garage band sort of album, which I don't think it has that sound, but I think this song does. Like, just this one. It's like, Brian was, like, what he had in his head was everyone was, like, to play rough. Like, you know, Carl, like, really banging the guitar and stuff and just the ugly sort of drums and really harsh tambourine and Bruce playing that organ with this sort of nasty sound, like the shrill theremin, the yelled backing vocals. It's like every component of the song is to get this sort of rough, like energetic sound that's like barely hanging together. Sort of. It's like, I think that must have been a deliberate choice. Like it's, it wouldn't just do that. Yeah, for
2: sure. It's got a unique feeling to it. It does. And it's, it's sort of a, it's a great single and it's a great album opener as well. Like it, it really like invites you into this new, different Beach Boys sound.
3: And great lyrics by Mike as well. They're like kind of a bit like if you really just listen to the lyrics and then like write them out and read them back, it's they're kind of ridiculous. But you know, <laughs> like I think Mike said he had it in his head like he was imagining Stevie Wonder singing the song and trying to write that sort of thing. And he was just listening to the track like as they were pl- finishing it up and he saw this jar of Wild Honey on Brian's shelf and was like, hey, like that's a <laughs> thing. His exact wording was like, Wild Honey, that's a great name for a, a hot chick that you're really hot for. <laughs> like, <laughs> like That was his exact wording yeah. I think, for it. But yeah, it's cool. And then <laughs> someone's so spontaneous about it. And yeah, I think it's a fantastic song. It really, really grew me a lot over time. I didn't used to like it as much as I do now. And now I think it's just like brilliant. And like, could not have been made by anybody else at any moment in time, other than like the Beach Boys in Brian's house. Then it's just, yeah, I love it.
2: very briefly about Bluebirds Over the Mountain this is a song that Bruce started for a solo project and he didn't get very far at this point in time I don't think it was just a bass and drum track that he cut with um, who, who, who did he do that with Larry Nectal and Jim Gordon Jim Gordon yeah so this was when Bruce was still thinking about doing a solo project in the late 60s and this is all he got done at the time and then later this got um, <laughs> taken back out by the Beach Boys for 2020 so we'll, we'll talk about the rest then I guess
3: yeah we'll leave it for now but it's an odd curiosity thing that it was like started as you know we've got with a little help from my friends and it's kind of ambiguous what Bruce was going for there but with this he straight up said like this was going to be like a solo singer for himself and like he never thought it was going to be for the Beach Boys so Wild Honey the song was recorded on September 26 and September 27 and then Bluebirds, the session was September 29. Was Bruce just going off and just recording this like bass and drum track for himself that he sort of left in the can for a year before Carl maybe heard it and was like, "Ooh, could we do something with this?" Back to the Beach Boys. Yeah, back to the
2: Beach Boys. On October <laughs> 2nd, they recorded two tracks, Hide, Go, Seek, and Aren't You Glad. So Hide, Go, Seek here is a cover of the Honey song. It was a single, I forget if it, if it was an A or a B side. I think it was a B side.
3: It, yeah, it was, a, it was a B side. It was, um the A side was Pray for Surf, I think.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. So this is a song that they first brought back for the Beach Boys in 1964 for Don't Back Down the original melody of that was this song and then Brian completely rewrote the entire track over the same chords um, and now they're actually bringing it back for the Beach Boys but all they got was a track no vocals
3: yeah yeah. and it's it was almost like hard to figure out how is this high go seeker first but it's in like it's in a different key and that song was like I was trying to pick down like what the structure of that song was. And that had like a sort of drum roll and acapella intro and then like a verse and a verse and a bridge and then like another break and then a verse and then a fade out thing. But this track, it's hard to tell because at first that it's even hide go seek by the honeys, but it's the same song, but it's literally just one verse and then a bridge and then it stops and that's the whole track. Like the structure is like really compressed and I guess it would have been looped the way aren't you glad was like they would have just yeah. taken that section and repeated it For over sure. and over again. And it's much more slow and kind of bluesy. Um, really simple track. Again, it's just Brian on piano, Carl, I guess, on bass and guitar. And then the drums sound like everything Brian did on Laden Hawaii, like really sort of crappy Brian drums. Um, <laughs> and then they just sort of left it, didn't get any further with it. It's sort of odd curiosity.
2: Okay. So the second song they recorded that day got much further, Aren't You Glad? This was a new original by Brian and Mike. One, two, and again, I think it's just brian and carl that day in the studio kind of stacking all the instruments
3: yeah just brian playing they started off with just with brian playing his like d-tune piano with the strings taped down like they did on a lot of the pet sounds and smile stuff to get this muted staccato sound which sounds really cool and carl's playing bass on it and then they just stacked stuff on top of that um this is like i mean this is like our favorite song from all this stuff isn't it like both of us yeah it's mine it's mine yeah mine too mine too (laughs) Yeah, so they just played it like really simple basic track is the way a lot of these things done uh, were done. It's just Brian on that like muted piano and Carl on guitar, no sorry, Carl on bass. Then they added Brian on organ, playing these sort of low notes and then these little stabs which are quite interesting. Carl on guitar were again on these like, these were buried in the mono mix and brought out for the first time in the stereo mix, just these really nice little sort of light touches to it. Um, it's an interesting arrangement. It's like he was sort of just making it up on the spot. These tiny little, like, soft guitar noodles. Um, the drums, again, sound like probably Brian playing it, I guess, or maybe Carl. They sound like all of Brian's stuff whenever he plays drums. Just real simple, like banging on two and four on the snare and then, like, the occasional, like, little little floor tom, like, ba-doom, doom the thing. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, love you again.
2: Exactly. Um, so, once that track was done... Two days later, we had the horns and the strings added. Right?
3: Yeah, on October 4 is when they did the trumpet and string overdub. I think it wasn't in the house anymore, I think they did that one at Wally Hyder's. might be wrong. Um, but they just had like, I think I've, I've, we've seen the AFM contract for this one, and it's like, I think the session, there's a note to say that the session only lasted like half an hour and some people were late and stuff, it was really simple, really fast. Um, but yeah, two trumpet players, Ollie Mitchell and Tony Terran. And then, the, for some reason, there is like an eight piece string section. There's like a load of violins and violas just playing like health chords in the chorus. And you don't even notice that the strings, if you'd listened to the song, you'd be like, oh, it's an organ. But for some reason, Brian called in this big string section to just go like, gee. <laughs> and like, 30 seconds of music. And then they went home. I thought it was an um, organ at first. Um, me, yeah.
2: I think the strings and the horns kind of give this more of a legitimate, like Motown sound to it. I think, yeah, my opinion on this song, this would have made for a better single because it's less of like a weird, unique, sort of like you were saying, garage band production. And it's more of like, I guess, closer with what was popular at the time in late 67. Like, it sounds like a lot of what was on the radio. It sounds like, the, like, um, Happy turtle Together turtle by Happy the Turtles to...
3: Yeah Yeah I remember you pointing that out It really has that feeling to it
2: It's got that um, big loud um, the... You know Triumphant chorus And then the bouncy Melody in the verse It's It's really nice
3: Yeah And it was done But the way it was done Like I mean we'll probably talk about this more Once we've got all the Who did what out of the way But like This song I really think Could have been like It could have been a big single If it was done In the way that they played it live A couple of years later um, I think so like too yeah, listen to like the live in London version. It's like, like it's like it's incredible. Like it's the best thing on that album. And it's like it should have. They should have never stopped playing the song live. It was like the best thing in the set list. Um, and the way they did it live was great too. And you just think like if they'd done it like that in the studio, it really could have been a hit. Like the song is that good for it. Like and like so many hooks and like the melody is that good and and the, the lyrics are that good as well and relatable and. I don't know. I think it's like one of the most perfect songs Brian and Mike like ever wrote like ever. Like but the way it was done yeah. in the studio, it's not bad, but it's not hit material. It's very like low-key, like gentle and Yeah, if,
2: if he had been been, small. been in a more commercial mindset,
3: <laughs> like if he had done this
2: a year before, if they had done it like the live band did it, yeah, I think it could have had huge potential.
3: Yeah, Martin Darling, you know, like I think this would yeah. it could have think, been bigger than Doll? Could have been bigger than Wild Honey? Yeah, really, it's like it's that good a song, but it was just done in such a small sort of simple way. It's almost like, I mean, yeah, you can all dream about like the sort of wildly like commercially successful, you know. Maybe if the Beach Boys were still popular, you know, that's a lot to that's a lot to <laughs> speculate about. But you can dream about that version. But it's it's just a cool, it's such a cool production as well, and it sounds so fresh and like bouncy and and sort of angular in the way it was done. Um, Yeah. Simple and homemade. And it's got such a a good feeling to it. Like it's just got such a, like a nice inviting sort of atmosphere.
2: Yeah. And how good is the contrast between Mike and Brian on this one?
3: So, yeah, it's great. I mean, before we talk about that as well, the way the track was done, it's just Brian and Carl played through just like the verse and then the pre-chorus and then the chorus, and then they stopped. And then the, the song itself was just copy and pasted like if you listen to the song it's just the same thing twice and then it fades out um and then they also slowed it down as well before doing the vocals which gives it even more of this mellow vibe like they played it in e flat and then brought it down to d so it gives it this really it gives it this gentle sort of like feeling if you listen to it at the original speed of the track it's got like a lot of energy and it feels like very commercial sort of um and then they brought it down i guess maybe for mike's range maybe just because brian liked the feeling of it better but it has this sort of nice slow thing. It makes the trumpet sound kind of slurred and, you know, just gentle. Um, but yeah, the vocals on this is are fantastic.
2: Yeah. I think it's probably Mike's one of his best vocal performances. I think. Cause it's, it's very much not like his usual style. He's singing much higher and much softer.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's got this really nice mellow feel into it. Like he didn't, he does this quite a few times and and the albums afterwards, like you get some of it on Friends and and after that, but it's it's sort of the first time he's really adopted that gentle, like he's singing really up close to the mic. He's really quiet. He's really sort of, I don't know. It's a completely different like style from Mike, and he, it's his best voice. I think whenever he sings like this, it's he does it better than anybody else in the band.
2: I well, we should probably clarify because I think in the in the Sunshine Tomorrow booklet, it said Carl sang the lead vocal, but he does not. It's all it's all Mike and Brian.
3: Yeah, Brian sings the lead in the chorus. It, it, sound, it doesn't sound... I mean, it, it might be slowed down a tiny bit, like like almost a semitone or something like that. I'm not really sure, but... I'm not really sure these days. Like, I go back and forth on whether it is, but it's definitely Brian. <laughs> and Brian's... Um, one of my favourite Brian vocals, the way he sings that chorus. But yeah, it's not Carl. It's just Brian and Mike sing the song. Um, and it's... Yeah, and Brian even sings to himself as well. He's got, like, the response vocal where it's like, tell me you know what I mean and stuff, and... It's Brian, like just singing with himself. Like it's a duet between Brian and Brian <laughs> at that moment. Um, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Um, the backing vocals, all the beach boys are there. Um, I think, I think all of them are there like quite buried down. You've yeah. Got, like, it's, the nice- it's, it's hard to hear cause they're mixed so low compared
2: to the lead vocal.
3: Yeah. It's not, not a very thick backing vocal sort of arrangement, just very simple. And you've got the me and you thing, which is nice. Um, and then um, this is one of those ones where they added some things as they were going to mono, like they had some hand claps and Brian and Carl, they'd like the doo doo do 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 in the middle of the song. Um, and then Brian also redid like one of the lines in the chorus. He re-sang the first line because it got cut off on the original record and I guess he just didn't want to punch in and replace it because he liked some of it. Um, so that's like in the stereo mix, the hand claps sound kind of like lo-fi because they had to extract it. That's just like a small DL. Um there's a lot, of, a lot of sort of hooks in this song as well. I think you were talking about how the chorus, like the melody, it's got the happy together vibe, but like the melody isn't as strong as happy together. But I think if you take it as like sort of the melody together with like the like the lead vocal and then the response part together, the way it kind of like goes up and then that carries it sort of like back up again. Like if you take that as one melody together, it kind of, I think it's it's a really, like it's just full of hooks and stuff. And then you've got like the backing vocals doing the, the percussive sort of thing. The trumpet, like, you know, yeah, it's got a lot going on to it, like, it, it really is super fun, sort of hit single, sort of material.
4: You're so sweet and I feel good just to talk with you You know that I've been a long time needing you You say that you've been a long time needing me And don't you know that there's so much more to come
3: So short breaking the timeline before we talk about the rest is the Beach Boys went on like a three day tour in October 6th uh, through to October 8th, where they played in like, um, like Indianapolis and like through to Chicago and stuff. And uh, kind of noteworthy because they introduced for the first time some other musicians playing with them. Uh, they'd done, they tried to do that earlier in the year, but like we had like a cellist and stuff like that, but um, and some horn players, but I think because of union reasons, they weren't actually allowed to bring them on stage. I can't remember if they ever played with him. Uh, Ian Rustin would know that. I don't know that. But anyway, they got this guy called Ron Brown, um, who uh, was a bass player, and they also, I think, maybe got Daryl Dragon at this point. I don't know if he didn't. I don't know if he was there here or if he was at the Thanksgiving tour um, a month later. But he became like a very significant part of the Beach Boys in the next few years. But that's kind of interesting that. Um, to know that, like, they, they've got a guy playing bass, they've got a keyboardist, um, they're really sort of starting to work on expanding the live act so they can play the material better. Um, and also, they played Wild Honey for the first time a few days before it came out, I think, of those shows. Um, these weren't recorded. These aren't the things that are on, like, Sunshine Tomorrow. This is just a few shows in the middle of all this stuff. Um, and while the Beach Boys are away, I don't know if they even had an album on their mind yet, or, or what aren't You Glad and stuff was for, or if the Beach Boys like beyond the track, worked on the vocals. They just, you know, they'd done the Wild Honey single. It was due to come out soon. Um, and they had this short tour. And while they were away, Brian started working with another act called Redwood, which were, well, which were Three Dog Night in a few years' time.
0: We've never been, stopped being friends since when, when I first met him from from that first day up uh, at, at uh, with, when David Annerly brought me t- to uh, his house. Um, and uh, I've, I'd formed, I'd, I'd gotten two other singers together, and uh, he knew about it, and uh, he heard us sing, and he was he he really liked it. So uh, I think he wanted he wanted to start. That, I think there was a period where what he'd always wanted to do was have uh, uh, have a whole artistic thing that was separate from the Beach Boys, and he he kind of. Did a little bit with his wife Marilyn in the early days and stuff like that, but it was wasn't. Uh, I think he was really st- st- saying the Beach Boys have done their stuff. I've really done what I think of some incredible stuff. Now I want to start doing stuff with other people, other bands. So we were we were the uh, the band, that he thought. You know, we were we were vocalists. He could, we didn't, we didn't really play, we could play guitars and stuff, but we weren't a band that he had to fight. He could bring in, drop in, he could bring in his crew of people and we could, uh, besides what the Beach Boys could do, which we could basically do, could be really soulful, blues. We could do blues. I mean, hard-on blues. So I think he felt that his palette could expand in areas where he hadn't uh, kind of get into a little specter area, <laughs> which you couldn't kind of do with the Beach Boys and uh, vocally sometimes, you know, that it was a different kind of sound.
2: Beyond this Beach Boys single, before they had an album in mind, Brian's always sort of, you know, wanted to branch out with other artists. So this was another example of that, something that he hadn't done in a while, right? When was yeah, the last yeah. time he...
3: Was <laughs> the last Jasper time? Daly, Jasper, Jasper Daily.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, and and yeah. I think by this time, Mike and Bruce had tried to produce the Pickle Brothers, a comedy act.
3: Oh, fuck the Pickle Brothers! <laughs> <laughs> don't, <laughs> you,
2: don't, don't include that. <laughs>
3: Why I bleep it? But I want my thoughts to be heard.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the less said about that, the better. But um, yeah, yeah. The difference here <laughs> is that Brian wrote two very very good songs um, for Redwood, which later became three dog night, Danny Hutton and, and all them. So Corey Wells and, um,
3: whatever you call him, he was in three uh, dog night again, Corey Wells, Chuck, Chuck.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: And Danny Hutton.
2: Okay. So Brian wrote two songs for them. Uh, I think the deal was there, it it was going to be two singles on brother, right?
3: Basically. Yeah. Brian was angling to produce another artist. Like I think Danny said, Danny Hutton and Brian have been friends for quite a while at this point. Um, Danny had done like this awful cover of Farmer's Daughter that you have to hear to believe years ago. Um, That's not relevant, but I just want you—I just want why to play it so you can hear how bad it is. And uh, yeah, Brian was going to produce these singles for them, but they were kind of also thinking about maybe doing an album and, and we're not really sure what the plan with the Beach Boys were at this point. But tentatively, for like for now, they were doing singles and then maybe an album afterwards. So Brian, um, like one night at Brian's house, decided to do Darling and then they decided to, re- to like start recording it. And um, Carl was, like the, the Beach Boys weren't, like, away for this one, Carl actually was on the session for this, and it was done in a basic way, like, with that Wild Honey piano, which I'm going to call it the Wild Honey piano piano from now on, the Chickering, um, the touring guy, um, Ron Brown, who they, like, just brought away on a few shows with him, he played on the session, which is kind of cool, I think Danny, like, thought he was a Motown guy, but that might just be because Ron was black, and Danny was (laughs) stereotyping a bit, I don't know, but he was basically in the touring band, he wasn't a Motown guy as far as I know, maybe he was, um, and yeah, they just started putting down this track for the song called Darlin. Carl played some drums, like off mic, um, is sort of a guide for the rhythm and you can hear some of that in Sunshine Tomorrow it's pretty cool, it's very different to the early days, it's just, you know, piano and bass and then they brought in some session guys to stack it, the way Danny said um Danny said that this was like very different from the early days where like right, we've got three hours, you've got to get this track done and it would all be really tight and stuff Brian was just like going to the kitchen and getting like a burger and, you know, between two tracks for this and it was a, it was a different atmosphere and it, it sort of has a, quite a different feel from anything he'd done in the past.
2: So, the first thing that they put on this was the drums, the real drums, which were done by Hal Blaine. It's weird that he's not on the basic track, because you almost always want to have the drummer playing with the group, But that's not how Brian did a lot of these tracks. Lots of overdubbed overdubbed drums on this album. So Hal Blaine's on this, and then you got a percussion overdub of uh, tambourine, castanets, and a snare drum. Very dead sounding, bad sounding drum, Um, which is is probably just, uh, I guess, Hal Blaine and then Brian and Carl. (laughs) Then there's there's a five-piece horn section. We've got three trumpets, barry sax, and a a trombone. Bass trombone, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and um, (laughs) Brian didn't have trumpet sections that often. That's kind of a a newish thing on this album. And they're they're voiced like, uh, like saxophones. They're voiced very low. Like uncomfortably low.
3: Yeah, and it's very different to... It's not like the pad sounds or the Summer Days kind of horn sections. It's much more kind of like Motown or Staxy kind of, you know, that sort of vibe. Like, Brian's definitely imitating with this sort of thing instead of... Yeah, for sure. ...in his usual ballpark. Um, And the piano has got a great feel. Like, I think this is the song, More Than Wild Honey. When you think of that piano, I think you think of Darling because it's so, like, so upfront in the song and it's the whole feel of it. And... um, it's like got a great bass line and stuff like brian's really i saw a video of this like guy recreating the piano part exactly and sort of and it's i think danny described like when he saw like elton john play piano he would be like all up and down and stuff and it was all dramatic but the way brian does it he's got like his sort of big sort of fish hands just kind of flopping and, like they just go up and down up and down in the same place <laughs> and he barely moves them and like these big changes happen and with darlin it's like that like his hands never like his hands kind of hardly move the entire song, but there's so many different moods come out of it and stuff, and the bass line is really cool. Like it just kind of goes up and down, up and down in like the sort of same area. It doesn't really it's not like big movements, it's these little sort of mood shifts and stuff, and it's got like a great feel into it. But um it's it's unusual because he's going for this sort of hit single sound, but it's it's like just piano based and it's got these weird horns and you know, there's no guitars in it. I think that's the thing that sort of like the commercial side of it um in like the context of 67 is like there's is not a guitar on this track like yeah it's 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 kind
2: of what sets apart like the weird brian wilson idea of r&b from actual like like stevie wonder (laughs) motown you know what what he was listening to
3: yeah, exactly. I think Brian even said in like the liner notes for Sunshine Tomorrow, like he didn't want to overdo the guitars, like he just wanted like nice piano and organ sort of sounds. Like I don't know what that means. I don't know what he meant by that, but it does like it's definitely deliberately avoiding the trend of the time. Um and giving it this sort of boogie-woogie type, like it's all about the piano in the song. Um, and then the vocals, again, Carl Wilson singing the lead. Um yeah. I
2: think this is a much more convincing lead vocal. I feel like he's more comfortable with this one than Wild Honey. This one, I would not want to hear Brian sing. Well I I, I wouldn't prefer it, you know. Carl just nails it. It's it's perfect.
3: Yeah, I think Carl would have sang it. It's almost like it's almost he's pushing it a bit. Like if if he'd done it in '68, I think it would have been like even better. But it's definitely much more confident than Wild Honey, and he's like you know more professional sounding, I guess. And it's again a big step out for Carl to do this sort of lead vocal, and he really really nails it. I think Brian called it his second favorite Carl lead vocal, like after God Only Knows. Um, yeah, for good reason. It's it's a really good one. Um,
2: yeah, I mean those, there's some high parts in this one too that you really have to
3: just scream out. Yeah, we've maybe skipped over some of the context as well, it's like, it's like a, a Three Dog Night song. And oh, like, right, Now, right, now right, Carl right. Wilson singing the lead vocal. Um, <laughs> yeah. But basically, basically, it went over to the Beach Boys eventually on October, they recorded the basic track on October 11th and the Beach Boys vocals were on October 27th, um, but I guess we'll get to that when we talk about Time To Get Alone, because it's more, there's more stuff to that one. Um, but at some point this became a Beach Boys song. Right. Yeah. The backing vocals were Brian, Carl, Mike, and Billy Hinchy, Carl's brother-in-law, instead of the usual the usual guys. Um, I think we only really know that because Billy pointed it out. Um, Billy mentioned it in an interview, and then we checked it, and it's like, yeah, that's his voice, and it's only three of the Beach Boys and Billy Hinchy are on this. And Mike, again, it's the same thing with Mike, is like pretty much inaudible, like you have to listen to it like isolated to even hear that there is a Mike Love Harmony on there. It just sounds like three parts. Um, but yeah, it's like the backing vocals are kind of thin on this because they didn't double it apart from in one part. Like it's, again, it's that whole thing of like, aren't you glad um, where this could have been a much more commercial song if they'd like done thicker backing vocals and had some guitars in it and stuff like that. And
2: uh, yeah, and and it's not for a lack of trying or anything. This is just kind of what Brian just what he wanted to do, do at
3: the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was like deliberately not, deliberately trying not to be competitive. Like he wanted to do something, you know, just just different for himself, I guess. Um, yeah, exactly. M- music uh, t- I for I Brian think... to cool out by, cool quote that Carl said. Which yeah, doesn't exactly. mean Brian's gonna sit by and watch other people make music. It means Brian's gonna make music and enjoy it and not have to feel stressed about making it compete in the
4: charts.
2: Yeah, people people definitely misinterpret that because if you listen to the sessions, he's still in charge of everything and he's like yelling at Carl to not do it wrong you yeah. know in the yeah. same way he would if he was making pet sounds it's just a different style yeah the it's like
3: speaks instead, for itself instead of being for the charts it's like music for brian to listen to himself like he actually enjoys like you'll f- listen to wild honey and friends because it's music that he wants to hear and he wants it to be right because he wants to hear it that way it's not because he think it's it's not because he thinks it's going to be competitive not that he was doing that in the past but like there was definitely like an angle of this has to be important and this has to be like more complex or you know than other people in, in the in the business and now he's like he just wants to hear what he wants to hear kind of for, for his own sake
2: Track, I think it initially had vocals on it by Three Dog Night, right?
3: Yeah, I think Danny said they did a scratch vocal, um, they didn't get all the way through, but there's no like mixes survive like time to get alone, so we, we have like we haven't heard that. Like the Beach Boys probably just re recorded, um, of whatever they did. Um, there's um, there's some copy and paste in this one as well that you, that you don't really notice. Like the first chorus, like the intro chorus, and then the first chorus, and then the fade out are all the same chorus, just copy and pasted over and over again. Um, so you get like the same chorus three times and then there is a different chorus for the second chorus just because it's, I guess Brian and the guys just didn't want to sing it more than, more than twice. So he just like made a copy of one of them and then just pasted the same bit over and over mm. again. Obviously it starts out without Carl singing over the top. So it makes sounds a bit different, but you get yeah. the fade out and it's like, wait, am I just hearing the same vocals again? Uh, Cause you are. <laughs> um, so more of that sort of cut and paste style loopy. That, that
2: last chorus that's uh, that's edited in is um, it, it's like a chorus where he he sang it as a pickup so you don't actually hear the word Darlin you just hear arlen because the D yeah, is not there. <laughs> exactly.
3: They fixed it in the stereo mix a bit but I like the mono mix where it cuts in. This is oh, one more thing one more thing about Darlin as well is I think Mike said that um, he wrote the lyrics to this while they were finishing up like the when they were about to record the vocals but like Brian did it for Three Dog Night by himself without Mike. And I think Brian basically wrote the chorus, like he's singing it off mic when he's doing the session. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so like Brian wrote like the chorus lyrics and then Mike filled out the verses, which is the way they kind of worked back in 65 a lot of the time. Like Brian would have almost a song and then Mike would have to fill in the verses. Um, And I guess that's maybe why they didn't, like Three Dog Night didn't do a full vocal, they just did a scratch vocal. Like the, the whole song wasn't written at the time. I don't know. So let's talk about Time to Get Alone. Oh, this one's complicated. (laughs) It's very complicated. I don't know where to start with this one.
2: So this one was recorded at, I think, the the first time at Valentine's Studios, right?
3: Well, that's the thing. There's this thing on Sunshine Tomorrow that's called Untitled Redwood. (laughs) Yeah, there's this thing called Untitled Redwood, and then it's been bootlegged as well and um it's it was apparently recorded at Valentine Studios and it's like an early take of time to get alone like like just one verse of it with Brian playing that sort of like taped piano thing um and there's like this really bad guitar overdub this like roll off tone and stuff like that and it's um just odd like this this so apparently that was done at Valentine Studios but there were other sessions like at the home studio on October 12th i think and then like Wally Hayward is on the fourteenth and fifteenth, and the Beach Boys took it later. Three, one, two,
2: three. Well, one thing about the the song itself is this is kind of the first time Brian's writing like a real waltz.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's true yeah, as well.
2: I'm I'm trying to think. There's great shape, but that's more like um, four and then two, and then there's cabin essence, but that's also like four and then two. This is kind of the first time he's writing an actual song that's like clearly in in three. That's like, which he's gonna do a few more times, coming up. Let the wind blow, friends.
3: Yeah, he got into sort of sort of a, sort of a waltz phase. He always did stuff in four, but like this is he had like a little bit of a streak in the late '60s. beginning with this one
2: yeah and um, this is sort of trying to track the the influences and being a Steve Bonilla this is sort of a a take on the chord progression of of Go Now by by the movie's. blues yeah when he pointed that out I was like
3: oh god like I've been like hearing that in my head the whole time it never like would have put us together This is, I should also get, I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to think of things to say about the song. I should also probably say that this is, this is my favorite Beach Boys song. Like my number one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Big. Um,
2: That's a big statement. It's a big Does statement. Does that make it though? your Just, favorite song?
3: Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't think it is, but it's in like top five.
2: <laughs> Interesting. I don't think most people would say time to get alone.
3: I do. Cause I've, I've researched like the amount of time and thought that I spend on time to get alone re- researching like who played what and how it all went together. And like, exactly, you know, like it's, I've, I've thought about this song like for a million years, um, com- compressed into whatever my life is, but I just feel like now when we're actually talking about it. I don't have anything <laughs> to say about it. Cause I've just like, I've just lived with this song so much for so long, but it is my favorite Beach Boys song. And I think I can say that kind of comfortably.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. The first thing to talk about here. In the recording process, is the the verses the uh, all all the keyboards that kind of yeah. play off
3: each other on the each the beat. keyboards bounce the bonk 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 kind of thing. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. so, so th- through the whole song, there's this taped piano thing that was like like that 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 red that uh, untitled redwood outtake is the same piano, and there's like Brian tried overdubbing it on darling and like. It didn't work out, it wasn't used, but there's this like meter piano that's really buried in the mix that I think Brian probably put down first. And then in the in the verses, there's this really interesting thing that was Danny Hutton's idea. It's like every time it hits a beat, like it's a different keyboard just goes bonk on a chord. And it goes like like one and then bonk bonk on two different keyboards and then one and then bonk bonk on two others. Like so you this sort of chain of four keyboards over six beats. Um And it's this it's super it's super interesting, it's such a unique sound that I've like never heard in anything else. And the way it goes, it's like it goes bonk, and then it's Brian's like (laughs) and piano hits a chord. And then, a, and then a tack piano hits a chord, and then it goes bonk again, and then a harpsichord plays a chord, and then I think Brian's Baldwin organ on like it's sort of nasty, buzzy satin plays. So it goes like like the D tune piano, tack piano, harpsichord, Baldwin organ. I think, maybe. The, I'm not sure about the Baldwin organ. It might be like a fuzz electric piano that shows up later, but like it's this, you know, like bonk something, something, bonk something, something. And it's such a cool idea.
2: I love I love the the scientific so terms we're you using here.
3: The the instrumental break that was removed from the from the final song, like when it was on Twenty Twenty, it's like this sort of marching band type beat thing. And then Brian's playing sleigh bells, I guess. Like Gene Peller was the drummer, and the sleigh bells come in that would have had to be Brian. And you get this really interesting like interplay of horns. Dwight Harper played like a French horn, it has this little solo, and then all these different things come in. It's like. It's Jamie, theory on flute, Dick Forrest, um, on trumpet and then, you know, another French one, all we'll doing this bouh, bouh, bouh sort of thing where they play like one note and then the other one will be like it'd be like a trumpet, does like the upbeat and then the French one does like the downbeat and it sounds like one instrument, and it's kind of yeah, it's pretty interesting. <laughs>
2: No, I'd never thought about that, but that's pretty much like the horns imitating what the keys do in the verses.
3: Oh shit, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's what it really is like that. I didn't
2: didn't think about it that way, yeah. It's just like presenting the the same idea in, in a new context.
4: And
3: then in the chorus as well, they all, all the keyboards start playing together. I think, you know, without the organ, but you get, like, the, the two pianos and the harpsichord. It just sounds like a harpsichord, but there's all these different ones sort of combined into this big keyboard sound. And then there's this big buzzy thing, like this, this buzzy sound that sounds like a cello or a fuzz bass, but apparently, according to Danny Hutton, this was, like, a Wurlitzer, like, electric piano playing through, like, a broken speaker. Um, I guess. I'm just going to take his word for it, because it sounds not, like... doesn't sound like anything else it's just like a wah wah playing the bass line you get in the fade out and they all kind of come together and the strings play this like ascending and sort of like descending melody line over the top of it and the cellos sort of doubling that fuzzy piano and all the keyboards are just kind of going off and like there's this cool piano run the further it gets along and stuff like that and uh it's a really involved track there's so many different overdubs on this like it's really stacked up and then something else i didn't even notice till recently. You know when the, the flute and the trumpet and the French one and the instrumental break are all like going like boom 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 boom
4: Yeah.
2: It's yeah. the
3: strings, like it's the same melody as the strings and the fade out. That's so cool, like sort of deconstructed and put into different things, like
2: Oh you're <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, this track has so many little intricacies, we're like learning about it as we talk about it, not even <laughs> listening. Um, but yeah, that's so different from the way all these other wild honey tracks
3: sound. Yeah, it's huge. It's like it's got like a Pet Sounds type scale, but it's not done like a Pet Sounds thing. It's done like Brian Mm -hmm. put down like a piano, and then just loaded shit on it, like just in different sections, and like it's almost like it's it's almost like a smile song. And yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, smile. He would have had he would have had like all these guys in a room playing at the same time, and he would have been in the booth instead of just like bringing them in one by one, having them put it on top of his piano. And the drums being last, <laughs> such a, such a bizarre move.
3: I don't know why he does the drums at the last minute all the time, but like, I guess he's got pretty good timing, <laughs> but it does give it yeah, like well, a sort of I, lopey, like loose feel into it.
2: Um. So Redwood did vocals on this and they did the entire song to completion. And I don't really know the details of, of who did the backing vocals on this. I think, it, are there some Beach Boys in there? The R's don't sound know.
3: kind of maybe like the same R's in the Hawthorne mix and like at the end of the bridge, but I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. It's very hard to tell. Um, as a trio, the all sing like all three members of Three Dog Night have different turns of the lead vocal and it's very tradey out and stuff. And there's different lyrics. Like Brian wrote the lyrics in all the versions of this song, but the Redboard one has different ones again. And, um, great lyrics really good like all four all three sets of words on this one are are all good but they keep changing like Brian just wasn't happy with it for some reason Um, yeah no I mean I think these are some of his best
2: lyrics too they really
3: are because he doesn't write
2: many on his own
4: I looked at you baby what did I see
2: Wild Honey period, Carl and Brian went back to this one, and I guess Brian rewrote the words, and Carl did the verses, and then Brian did the choruses and also the
3: last verse and the bridge as well. Brian did. Oh as yeah, well, and the well. and the bridge, right? Without yeah. the deep and wide, I wish I wish it did the deep and wide. <laughs> <laughs> no deep and wide,
2: yeah. And I think that's as far as they got in this period, right? No backing vocals. It was just Carl and Brian yeah, doing their parts.
3: Yeah, no backing vocals. They just did the lead vocals. should we just kind of talk about how that what that situation was because chuck negron in his autobiography um Mm. wrote this (laughs) like detailed account of basically like mike and and carl came in and like basically bullied brian into giving up the songs out of like jealousy but i think that the real situation there's obviously some drama brian was obviously upset about it and brian was pressured into giving them up a bit but um the the real situation has some more nuance to it like danny has kind of elaborated on this a little bit basically like they would signed to do two singles with Brian and that's what they were going to do, but they wanted to do an album. But Mike basically came in and said like, we need to do the studio and we need Brian to do a Beach Boys album because we're like contractually obligated to, and we've got like a tour in a month and we just need to get in and do an album. And like, Brian isn't going to have time to do your stuff. If, um, we need Brian. And like, you can finish these singles if you want, but you can't do an album. Um, and basically the Redwood guys were like, no, we want to do an album. Um, and we don't want to just do singles, so they kind of like just there was a hassle, and Brian was kind of pressured to give to call it off, and they just decided to like it was too much trouble to try and work this out, so they just gave up, and then Brian went off and did wild honey instead um but there's like different sides to this that I keep finding out different things, like apparently. Like there's I found this one Mike quote in the seventies where apparently Mike Brian just like couldn't live with their vocals. D- Danny as well said Brian was like the toughest guy he's ever worked for. Like he'd be singing one line and Brian wouldn't even let him get to the end. He'd stop him and like make him do it again and again and again. Because you know what he's like. You've heard like the vocal session where he's like making Al sing one line of I know there's an answer and over and over again. Brian was like a nightmare unless like you really knew him, it had a feel for the way he works. Um, so I think there was almost like and Brian always talks about how great Carl's vocal is and. Darlin and stuff and like it's his favorite thing so i think there was some genuine feeling from brian like his heart maybe wasn't in it as much as he as it was initially and then bruce as well said three dog were like not happy with the financial situation like they felt they were kind of being screwed out of it so they wanted to walk away because of the money thing and then i think danny said that like mike's attitude was why are you giving them a hit but like you know mike was like a founder of brother records he would have gotten the money from them being successful so that doesn't really make sense and Mike was telling them that they could finish the singles it was just that they couldn't do an album so there are angles to this thing it feels like a much more nuanced situation than like oh Brian's evil family like bullied him into bullied him into working with the beach boys and giving up his real dreams which was to produce 3 dog night um i don't know because no, <laughs> yeah and the beach boys sounds
2: so much better on this and by the beach really boys do. i I'm, I'm including Brian who's singing like a good half of this of this song like it's it's incredible and i i'd never Go and listen to the to the Redwood version. I know, as, as much listen, as I find it such an, an interesting concept,
3: it's decent, it's pleasing, it's good. But like the Beach Boys are like it up to like such a like a level like so much more than like what the Redwood version was. And like Chuck Brits talked about this in an interview in the '90s, and I think he really hit the nail on the head that like Brian did good stuff with other artists, but Brian like, really was, like, designed... His music was, like, built to for the Beach Boys. Like, he wrote stuff with their voices yeah. in mind, and it was always better when he did it with the Beach Boys. And I think it's really true with this. Like, I just can't... I can't see Mike... I find it... It's kind of selfish, but I can't see, like, Mike and Carl as, like, the villains in this when they, you know, whatever that situation was, ended up giving us, like, much better Beach Boys versions of these songs with Brian singing them. Like, you know. So, I don't think Brian... Brian wasn't isn't gonna like rewrite the lyrics and then try and sing them himself and then like produce like the sessions for the twenty twenty one, which he did even though he wasn't credited for it. Um, if he hated it and like didn't want the Beach Boys to have this song. Like it was ultimately Brian's call. Yeah. And he, no. he he was obviously it was obviously close to him and he felt it was important to get this song right and stuff. I honestly think people just like a good people just like a yeah, people, people like to find a villain in a situation. <laughs> a villain
2: um, and and a victim and a, a good story
3: yeah and it's not not to erase brian like you know having like been kind of pushed around by mike or whatever and giving up this thing because of like family pressure but at the same time there are obviously more angles to it than that and like anything in like actual real life and it's not beach boys wikipedia pages there are there's like complicated feelings and things happen not for a because b it's because like there's a lot of stuff going on and it's just too difficult to keep going with whatever and but what ended up happening the song i think was like a net like positive because it's my favorite beach boys song and i don't want Three Dog Nights to do that shitty version. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike is a guy that comes up with these ideas. He's very protective of the Beach Boys. It's a great legacy. Uh, and uh, I, I see his side of it, but uh, uh, he he absolutely rubs a lot of people the wrong way.
2: Yeah. So that's as far as the song got with the Beach Boys. Just, just some lead vocals by Carl and Brian. Um, don't think they considered it finished or anything. They just moved on to other tracks.
3: There was like, yeah, for for a while, I think they would have been thinking about putting it on Wild Honey, but then they just... Brian actually spoke about this. I found this um, quote from Record Collector in the 90s where Brian said it was like feeling too plastic in some way. So he's put it away for a year and then got it back out and then they did it again. Um, So it's just one of those things where he just wasn't quite satisfied with it at the time but I always feel like it's like the missing Wild Honey album closer. Like I always feel like it should have been on Wild Honey. It should mm. have been the end of the album and it should have been the 2020 version, but with Brian's lead vocals in the chorus from the Wild Honey one and with the instrumental bridge. And in my head, that's like the perfect version. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get back to it in like, we'll get back to it in like a year when we do the 2020 episode or whatever. Uh, Cause there's much more to the song. Um, yes. To talk about when we get there. Lots and, more. Uh, yeah there's a great anecdote that I just remembered where Danny was saying, like, he said that they were doing like the string session and Brian was having one of his like superstitious phases and, Oh yeah. um, Or he like just decided like, Hey, you musicians, you look kind of ill. And then he got like Marilyn or Diane to go around and spray cough medicine in all of their mouths, like before they did the session. And uh, Danny was thinking like, Oh my God, the power this guy has, like I can never do that and get away with it. (laughs) He's just giving cough, cough spray to all these random musicians. Just, they just want to play the strings. Um, and then he was apparently like sprinting in the alleyway behind the studio taking like shots from like an oxygen mask because he felt bad about the smog. Um I don't know. This yeah, there's a weird situation around this song and <laughs> it's it's uh something odd happened with this one and it just slipped away and then they, you know, got back to it later. But I think we find we've pretty much covered all the bases. <laughs>
1: We will pick up with will and john and the rest of the wild honey sessions on the next episode so just today as i was editing this i found out the very sad news that billy henchy passed away he was carl's brother-in-law and one of the longest tenured beach boys live band members and uh, i'm already working on a special tribute to billy so look for that on the patreon feed my heart goes out to his family and friends i'm very saddened That will do it for today. Thank you guys again for all your support. Please check out the Patreon page, the Instagram, the Facebook, all the things. It's all in the show notes. Thanks very much to Will and John, to Matt Thompson, who does our graphic design, to Will C., who does the music for the show, and to you for giving us a reason to do it. Stay safe. Tell someone you love them and sail on, sailors.
2: We got to, we got to stop having the same opinions. It's not interesting for I, people to listen to just two I'm guys war-
3: agreeing. Exactly. This is what I warned why I was about, about. It's like we just think the same thing about pretty much everything. Not everything, but like just enough to think. Like if people listen to this, they're gonna be like, "This is just one person talking to himself." <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've I've disagreed with you a few times, but yeah, this is weird. <laughs>